This morning we're dealing with a simple command of Jesus given to a man that he healed. And the command is, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. We're returning after Easter to the book of John, chapter 5. And this is the sort of command that we could go our whole life without hearing, and we'd be happy to have missed it, right? Because it's a command, and that's enough. We don't like commands to begin with, but this is not just any command, it's a command that comes with a threat if we don't do what is commanded. And this is exactly the sort of thing you'll often hear people attributing only to the Old Testament, to the God of the Old Testament. But actually, we're in the book of John, which is the New Testament, if you didn't know. And Jesus is the one who gave the command, and he is God. And that's something to rejoice over, the fact that God is the same yesterday and today and forever and is not changing is actually a comfort to us. And yes, it means that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament we have commands that come with threats. And we've got to figure out what to make of them. We can't simply dismiss it as something that no longer happens, no longer applies, doesn't have anything to do with us. And so, what we'll see this morning is the necessity of loving and fearing God. But please stand to the reading of God's Word from John chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17. John 5, 1 through 17. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, 
So the Jews were saying to the man who is cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Later on in John, in chapter 9, we will read about Jesus healing a man born blind. And in that passage, the disciples assumed that either the man or his parents must have sinned in order for him to be blind. You guys remember that that little interaction? John 9, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples were wrong in their assumption that he must have sinned in order to be suffering blindness. Or that somebody, his parents must have been being punished by him being born blind. Or he was being punished. Jesus says no. But in our passage this morning, we read Jesus saying to the lame man that he healed, You have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, at first, these passages may seem to be in conflict with each other, but they're not. The conflict is actually between us and God, and it is caused by our sin. Of course, we'll get to John 9, Lord willing, but what we must learn from the man born blind and from Job in the Old Testament is that when something bad happens to somebody, that is not proof that God is punishing them, right? Assuming that those who suffer are cursed by God would require us to embrace the health and wealth gospel and all of the rest of its errors. If any sort of suffering on the part of anybody is due to that person's particular sin, even if that sin is simply a lack of faith, then we've got to throw away all of the places where Jesus tells us in his word to expect suffering here in this life because of our obedience to him, not because of our sin. Right? This is the 
the essence of the error of the health and wealth gospel. It lies in this assumption that if something bad has happened, it's proof that God is displeased with you for some reason. And so, we can never assume when we see somebody suffering, simply on the basis of that suffering, that they've done something terribly wicked to deserve it. On the other hand, assuming that God does not discipline his children and does not punish the wicked, here and now in this life, is just as bad of an error. Because that would require us to throw away even more places where God makes it clear to us that he does actually discipline us and send suffering our way because of our sin. And so, you know, if you, if, if you thought on the face of it that it sounded like those two passages were in conflict, then let me explain what's really going on here, just briefly. They're not in conflict because the passage... In John chapter 9, about the man born blind, the passage, you know, the long book of Job, only says you cannot assume simply on the basis of suffering that the person is being punished for evil. It does not say God does not ever punish people on the basis of evil. And there is a world of difference between those two statements, isn't there? Another passage brings these two things together. It's Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Now on the same occasion, there were some, pe- some present who reported to him, that is to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate had these people attacked, either you know, they were injured such that they were bleeding, or they were murdered, <clears throat> presumably murdered. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Christ's warning there makes two things clear. One, we should not be too quick to point the finger at others, assuming that they are worse than ourselves, just because something bad happened to them. And two, not at all in conflict with that, we should fear God 
and repent or we will face the same bad things. So in other words, what Jesus does is he he tells us to worry about ourselves first and foremost and our sin. The command of Jesus to the man in John 5, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Is perfectly suited to strike fear into the heart of this man. He had just been sick for 38 years. So sick that he could not even get down into the pool. Made lame by his sickness. 38 years. That's longer than many of us have been alive. Right? Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Worse is a comparative word, right? What's he comparing it to? 38 years of misery. What's worse than 38 years of misery, people? It's a long time. But there are worse things, aren't there? In fact, I think a a second 38 years of misery would be worse. But that would only be the same thing happening. And and Jesus says something so that so that something worse doesn't happen. Just as when Jesus says to the people In the book of Luke, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. His words have two meanings. On the one hand, he's speaking of the here and now, the perishing of physical death. On the one hand, when he says something worse to this man, the sick man in our passage, he's talking about here and now. Worse physical suffering. On the other hand, he's also speaking in such a way that it should be clear to us that the worst thing is spiritual in nature as well. Because it's connected to sin. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. If you don't repent, you will all likewise perish. And so the perishing that Jesus speaks of, the worst thing that Jesus speaks of, is ultimately condemnation and being cast into hell. That's the ultimate worst thing. That's part of the threat implicit in Jesus' command. 
So as we read this, we think about this man. You think it's been, what, a couple of hours maybe since he's been healed? And Jesus runs into him and says, you have been made well. He reminds him what had just happened. As if the guy had forgotten so quickly. Would he have forgotten already? No, of course not, right? He would have, there's no way he's forgotten that he just spent 38 years in, in, in only a matter of, of a couple of hours. <clears throat> and we hear that and we think, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, he needs to not sin anymore. Isn't that what we think? Yeah, it's perfectly suited to strike fear into his heart. But if we have any conscience whatsoever, if we have any awareness of what God has done for us, then we ought to be hearing this as though he's speaking to us. Because he is. It should strike fear into our hearts as well. Unless, of course, you're assuming that his sin must have been something worse than you've ever done, because after all, he got his debilitating disease. But isn't that what I just got done showing us? We can't do. We cannot assume that other people are worse than us, and that's why they have this bad thing happen to them. Maybe they have something bad happen to them because of their sin, but what does that have to do with you? What it has to do with you is repent, or you likewise shall perish. How quick we are to fall into the error that Jesus warns us against. And isn't that, after all, why he had to remind this guy that he was just healed? Because that's how quick we are to forget. <clears throat> how many times have you, have you borne a weight, a weight in your soul, whether it was because of physical sickness or because of some mental uh, conflict within yourself, whether because of a situation that you were facing at work that was difficult, or because of the guilt that you feel at your own sin, or because of suffering at the hands of others, regardless, you feel the intensity of the weight the sorrow of your situation, and it's crushing. Have you experienced this? Only to have God answer your prayers and remove that crushing burden? And how quick, how quick we are to forget that. 
his gracious act. Taking away those burdens. Restoring unto us the joy of our salvation. What an answer to prayer that is. What a gift that is. This man received a gift after struggling for 38 years with this terrible sickness, this debilitating disease. And so we must be reminded, just like him, What does Jesus say? Behold. Look. Pay attention. Listen to me. You have been made well. You have received a gift from God. You have received God's grace, His mercy. God has answered your prayers. How many different ways could we say this? What is included all in that little phrase, you have been made well? It is such a big statement. It says, it says everything about God. It says everything about the man, right? It shows us our dependence on God. It shows us his mercy on us. Behold, pay attention, look at that fact. You have been made well. And then act accordingly. Which is to say, Jesus makes it specific, right? Behold, you have become well, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So the proper response is, do not sin anymore. And when we understand that God has loved us, God has shown mercy to us, God has been gracious to us in all of these ways, and we see that, we see His love that He's poured out on us, of course, our reaction has got to be, therefore, I'm, I'm not going to sin anymore. Therefore, I am going to follow my heart in love and obedience to God. This is deep, deep love. that flows out of our 38 years then suddenly healing. Deep, deep love. And then Jesus follows it up with that threat. so that nothing worse happens to you. <clears throat> if it is not 
enough motivation for you to begin to obey now that God just healed you after 38 years of misery. Perhaps it will be enough motivation to warn you that if you go back into sin, it will be worse for you. When people tell you that <clears throat> you need to obey because of love, they're right. You ought to obey because of your love. You ought to dwell on the good things that God has done. And yet, <clears throat> what we see here is also that you ought to obey because of your fear. Because when Jesus says, so that nothing worse happens to you, he's giving you a reason to not sin. Don't sin so that nothing worse happens to you. He is instilling fear in you in order to cause you to obey. He gives you deep love and deep fear of himself in, that, in that, those few phrases. Behold, you have become well. How could you not love at that point? Therefore, do not sin. Yes. Because I love God. And he says, and also, so that nothing worse happens to you. Yes, that's fearful. You know what this man left the conversation feeling. He left feeling love and feeling fear. Love because of that gift of healing and fear that he might fall into sin again and receive a worse punishment. We have such a such an opposition to fearing God today. Uh, we we assume that all of our all of our interactions with God are voluntary. That he leads us without threatening us, that he's just a big, cuddly bear. This is how we're tempted to interact with God. But you can't justify that attitude with this passage. Even if you, even if you cut off so that nothing worse happens to you, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore. It would still contain that implicit threat, wouldn't it? Because he's drawing a contrast there between our healed state and our sin. 
But he doesn't leave it implicit. He makes it explicit so that nothing worse happens to you. Re-falling into sin is a terrible thing. I'm going to read another passage to you from Matthew 12 that warns against returning to your sin. Starting in verse 43, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Does that not cause you to fear? How can it not cause us to fear? Doing the work of cleaning out our hearts, cleaning up our lives, right? We know there are areas that we've got to continue to fight against sin and temptation. And you read this and you think, what are you tempted to think? Well, maybe it's better off not to clean it up. Because it seems like I always fall back into sin. Isn't that what we're tempted to say there? And I don't want my, my second place to be worse than my first place. But that's to say, I want to stay here by the, I want to stay here by the water sick. The last 38 years have been great. Have they? No. No, we don't want to stay here. We don't want to stay in this in this state. We want to be made well. We want to clean our lives, our hearts, by the power of God. Not so that we can do, go our way and do our own thing, but so that we can hear the, the words of Jesus, Behold, you have been made well. So stop sinning, or it's going to be worse for you. So, brothers and sisters, let us love God for the marvelous work he's done for us. And let us obey him out of the deep love we have when we see what he's done for us. And at the same time, let us fear God. And let that fear not be the fear of a slave, that is the kind of fear that we are commanded not to have elsewhere, okay? But let it be the fear of a son. And that fear also drives us to obey him, lest something worse happens to us. 